When was the last time you had a conversation with your friends about how to make your money grow? In fact, have you ever had that conversation? It seems that for many of us, we'll happily talk about what we've bought, but where salaries, debts and investments are concerned, we just don't discuss it enough. We want to change that and learn how to get the most from what we have. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to Millennial Matters, a weekly podcast brought to you by me, Pippa Artist, and me, Laura Chambers. Each episode will tackle a new topic that's got us talking. Everything from food and fashion through to relationships and money, we'll take a look into millennial life from all angles. To help us navigate the often daunting subject of money, today we're welcoming Ellie, aka This Girl Talks Money, to the podcast. Ellie lives in London and started This Girl Talks Money in 2019 to help millennial women gain confidence and ownership of their finances. As well as sharing on her blog and Instagram, Ellie has also contributed to a number of publications, including as a contributing writer for Restless Magazine. If that wasn't enough, she also helps companies to educate their employees on the importance of their financial health by hosting workshops and sitting on panels. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We are so delighted to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) It's really, really great to have somebody on to talk about money because Laura and I are constantly talking about what we should be doing, what we're not doing right, and not really knowing where to start. And the reason why I wanted to get you on the podcast is because we really love your approach to educating millennials around money management. And you've been known to say, if nothing changes, nothing changes, which I think is a really clear and great way to talk about it. So there's definitely a lot that needs to be changed in terms of our mindset when it comes to money. To start us off, because this is something that you talk about quite a lot, would you be able to expand on why it is that our mindset is maybe making us have a couple of stumbling blocks along the way when it comes to money? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, where do you start with money? Money (laughs) is such a difficult subject because it's highly emotional. And I think that often we don't give it the credit or the space that it deserves as an emotional subject so people treat it as though it's this day-to-day thing you know money affects every area of your life every day but people don't put in the time the effort to think about the emotional impact that it has Um, and that then results in having so many issues that are unspoken about a lot of the time when it comes to money Um, And they mostly come back to your mentality and your mindset about money. And it stems typically back to your childhood. And like lots of things, um, your behavior is learned around money. So you watch what happens around you and you absorb it and you take in the messages that you hear about spending, saving, investing, being wealthy, being poor, all of those things. And they create this idea that you then grow up with of money and what money means and what it symbolizes. And yet you quite often, most often, aren't aware of that and how it's impacting your daily life. So money mindset work and starting to become aware of it is the process where you then start to understand why you do actually believe what you believe and to challenge those beliefs and ultimately change those beliefs and view money in a completely different light and a more positive light most often. And so 
What can that actually lead to if you're being emotional? Is it emotional about your purchases or the way you spend your money? Yeah, totally. So emotional spending is a major issue that I see so often um, with people that I'm talking to, with clients. And it makes total sense, you know. I use this analogy all the time, but I often talk about the relationship between food and emotions and how money is very similar. So I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you know a lot about people using food as an outlet. So emotional eating, when you're upset or you're struggling or you're stressed, binge eating or the opposite, restricting, the same applies with money. So what happens a lot of the time is if you're feeling under a lot of pressure or, and often it's financial pressure as well, then you will go the other way and you will buy yourself things to make yourself feel better. And you get that kick that you get when, you know, when you first make that purchase and you get that new item, but very quickly it wears off. And quite often you then feel like I shouldn't have spent that money and you go into a cycle of guilt and you then end up feeling really bad and you restrict your spending and then you enter this cycle which is really unhealthy and really bad for your mentality which is is similar to what happens a lot of the time with eating and disordered eating around emotions. Mm. Yeah I can definitely relate to that actually because I have often found that if I'm just looking for a real quick fix for making myself feel better, then I'll go, I don't know, like one of the shops in Liverpool Street Station when I'm heading home from work and I'll quickly buy myself something. And then I get home and I'm like, do you know what? That money could have actually gone into like my piggy bank or something. I'm not like I actually have a proper piggy bank, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, my virtual piggy bank and I could have put that away and that could have just been so much more impactful in the long run or equally the standard thing that a lot of millennials I think will probably relate to is like buying an extra drink when you're out and you just really didn't need to do that you actually could have had just as much of a good time and then you're just like I have literally sabotaged my savings because that was like 15 pounds or something to like save money so I definitely do understand that attitude but I personally from my experience I don't know about you Laura but I think it's really hard for me to get my head around how to actually be strategic with my money yeah we did an episode probably in season one or two called Money Matters, where we were talking about what we spend our money on and perhaps we could cut back on. And it was things like having a coffee every day and the fact that we should cut down on that, having our lunch out. And I said, I eat most of my money. I know exactly where my money goes. It's on food and it's on drink. And it's something that gave me immense pleasure just stopping at Starbucks and getting that treat of a coffee and sometimes I would do that every day and then cut back and then feel guilty about how much I'd spent. But lockdown kind of took all of that away. And now I'm kind of in the place where I have actually saved some money through lockdown. But I don't know what to do with it now. And I feel guilty about spending it on frivolous things and think, well, I've managed to save some money. Do I just splurge it or, or like <laughs> there's a pressure on me to do something good with it? but I don't know what to do. So yeah, strategy <laughs> is a big one for me and that's where I'm quite stuck. It seems like we are your ideal audience for people that you try to work with because a lot of the stuff that you talk about on your amazing Instagram and on your blog is about trying to work with generally you know, anyone who's needing help, but also 
hardworking, ambitious women who feel frustrated with their empty bank accounts at the end of every month, which is to quote you, like literally I read that and I was just thinking, oh God, that's actually me. (laughs) So, you know, how does that work? Like, how is it possible that so many of us are feeling this exact same way? Yeah, so nothing that you've said is uncommon. And I think that's like the main thing really, isn't it? It's so normal to be feeling like this. And I think that there are two parts to it. And I typically refer to kind of money in these two camps of where you need to tackle to get where you want to be. The first one being your mindset and then the second one being the management. And I think the biggest thing that just cropped up for me there was how much he was talking about feeling guilty and I think that that is a major issue that I think a lot of millennials feel is spending guilt and I think there's a few reasons for it but I mean I think one of the big reasons is because there's so much pressure constantly to be hitting like the next target to be doing the next thing to be like buying the house or buying the car or going on that holiday and I think that that creates a lot of pressure to actually be doing what everyone else is doing with their money. One of the biggest things that I think that we all need to work on to start getting into a better place with our mindset at least with money is getting rid of that guilt and I really don't want people I really don't like the idea of people feeling bad about spending money because you were not put on this earth to spend as little money as possible like money is there like you work hard for your money and what I try and encourage people to do is to spend in alignment with their goals yeah it's not about not spending money it's about spending money in alignment with your goals and spending money in places that bring you joy to marry Hondo it and like not just frivolously wasting money. So for example, with the coffees, I will never tell someone to stop buying coffee out if that brings them an element of joy in their day and it fits into their plan. Like if that is your thing every day that makes you feel good, then don't stop doing it to save money because you'll be miserable. The thing with money is that it needs to be sustainable. Your approach to managing your money has to be sustainable or you're going to end up back in that big cycle of spending and saving and it's it's not going to help you to get where you where you want to be in the long term and so I think my approach and what I advocate very much is about making like the decisions with your money that work for you get rid of all of the that extra drink that you don't really want but don't get rid of the coffee in the morning on your way to work, which makes you feel good on your on your way in. And you're working hard, so you deserve to enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, that's actually really nice. And I've, I've genuinely never thought about it in that sense, in that you set goals for yourself, for your life very generally, but actually so many different attributes are going to fit into that and, and impact you know, how well you are doing in terms of reaching those goals. Now, one of the things that I really loved that you posted on your Instagram was the three beliefs affecting your money mindset and their little quotes. And I am literally a stereotype of one of these. I'm just not very good with money. That is how I associate myself with money. Literally, I just always think to myself like, 
I'm just not really very good at it. Like I am one of those people where, you know, I often have a bit of money left over at the end of the month. But like, if I actually want to properly save, I come to a point where I go, where did that even go? Like, I don't understand how it's disappeared. So those three, I don't know if you want to just elaborate on those a little bit. Yeah, sure. So then I'm not very good with money. The starting point I always go back to with that one is, are you born good at anything? (laughs) The answer most of the time is no. Like you don't just get good at something overnight. And the same applies with money. Like it's not something that we are ever taught. So we have to teach ourselves how to do it. And the reality is that it's not that hard. If you're determined and you decide you want to learn how to be good with your money, whatever that means for you, then you have to learn to do that. And I think that's the biggest kind of misconception about money, like being good with money, but also the idea that there is a a good with money, because I don't think there is. I think what that is looks different for every person. And some people will look at people that you know, are super frugal and be like, oh, they're really good with money. I don't think that's being good with money because I think that that's miserable. <laughs> I don't think that being good with money is about being miserable and not buying things that make you happy. I think it looks so different to everyone. And so I think that a lot of it is just questioning those beliefs and asking yourself, like, why do I actually think this? And am I being unrealistic, expecting to just wake up one day and know what to do with my money? And if I'm actually committed to it, if I want to become better with it, what am I doing to to get where I want to be with my learning and my education about money? Hmm. And then your your next belief is that money doesn't grow on trees. And I think we hear quite a lot about manifestation and that kind of thing. If you want it, it will come to you. So <laughs> what's your view on all of this? Yeah, what do I think? I think there's a lot of good that can be done through positive thinking. I think there's also a level of privilege that you have to acknowledge when it comes to manifestation and the idea that, you know, if you want something enough and you manifest it, it will happen. I don't think that that is always true. But what I do think and why I think that the whole money doesn't grow on trees is a negative mindset is that it really encourages you to cling on to money. Mm. And I think that one of the biggest things that like I have seen and experienced with my own journey with money is that you have to spend money to get more money back. You have to mm. invest money. You have to sometimes take those risks. I, I mean, for me, it looked very much like investing in support. So I hired a few months ago, I hired a business coach to help me with building what I want to build. And that was scary because that was a lot of money and there's no guarantee that that is going to pay off but I knew that I needed to invest that money not cling on to it if ultimately I wanted to build something bigger and better which will bring me more money and another example which is completely different but applies to everyone is the idea that you know you can give away money and that that will be a good thing for you I think money doesn't grow on trees really makes you reluctant to to give money to good causes and to help people out because you're like my money is my money 
like mm. this many I've worked for it I'm going to hold on to it I'm not going to put it back out into the world and actually I think that when you do give away money for example you get so many benefits and they might not be financial benefits but mm. you really do benefit as a person through doing that and like you will often get far more back than the five or ten pounds that you donated in terms of like the good that you're doing yeah yeah so I think that comes a lot as you say it's your beliefs when you're younger and the fact that your parents probably told you that money doesn't grow on trees because Mm -hmm. they were trying to instill something good in you in not to waste money but then it it sounds to me like you're saying that we can take that too far to heart and just think well actually now every time I try and spend something I've got to have that in my head yeah totally and I don't for a second think that most people that say that to their kids are doing it in a negative way at all like you say they're trying to encourage them to think about what they're doing with money but yeah the consequences for that as an adult can be really negative and I think that a lot of the process of getting better with money is starting to just acknowledge those beliefs that you hold and questioning them and saying okay why do I believe what I believe like why did my parents say that is that the same way that I'm now applying that in my life or have I taken that in a different direction to a different extreme Mm -hmm. and can I reframe that and can I look at it in a different light and still not compromise my ultimate goal which is you know to build your wealth because there are ways and like that is the thing there are ways that you can do both and I think that you have to start by going backwards to then like reposition your beliefs and your thoughts around money to move forwards in a much more positive way yeah and that I just resonate so much with some of the stuff you're saying because like your third belief that you don't agree with is I need more money before I can make more money and I think a lot of people feel this way and it's so interesting because you spoke about risk just then and I think that a lot of the association that quite often happens with women in particular and also I would say that millennials that I've spoken to are really feeling this way as well is that like you're constantly working towards earning more money or getting more money in the bank just whatever way possible kind of thing because you can't succeed until you have that you can't take risks unless you have money to risk with like take risks with there's quite a lot of research that demonstrates that men are often the ones who will be a bit more risky with their investments than women are is that something that you found quite a lot in the work that you're doing definitely women are naturally more risk averse and obviously it doesn't apply to every woman but on the whole uh, especially when it comes to investing in the stock market there is a major gender gap but I don't know I can imagine that it will probably apply across the board further it's something I'd actually really like to look into more but yeah women I think I think there's, there's a lot of studies which suggest why and speculate on why women take less risks Ultimately, I think it probably comes down to security and wanting that feeling of stability and having something to fall back on. Whereas I think I think that ties into confidence ultimately and that men are more confident in their decisions, whereas women, I think, are probably more tentative, which ultimately is problematic because it's damaging the wealth of women everywhere 
because women need to be investing at a far higher rate than we are at the moment. And I totally, totally understand there are a lot of barriers again to getting into investing. And it's complicated, it looks complicated. It's another industry which has been historically massively dominated by men, and there is so much jargon. And also, the, there are risk warnings everywhere, and there have to be risk warnings because ultimately the reality is your money is at risk. Like you can lose that money, but you're not going to gain anything without taking that risk. And it kind of goes back to everything in life that the bigger the risk, the bigger the potential reward. And it's like how how happy are you to sit at the safe end of the spectrum? knowing that your your return is very limited or are you willing to come a little bit out of your comfort zone and see what happens and give it a go and you can do it so slowly as well you can like edge out of the comfort zone you don't have to go all in and I think that's another misconception that people often have is that when it comes to investing you have to have like five grand to stick in and you don't you can just start slow and that's always what I say to people that are looking to get into it start with 10, 20, 50 pounds a month, see what happens, and then you'll start to build more confidence. But the biggest thing you can do wrong is not start. Yeah, so I'd like to dig into this a little bit more, if you don't mind, because like I say, people are in different circumstances coming out of lockdown. And, you know, I'd be remiss to not talk about the people that have, have lost their jobs, for example, But there are a number of us who haven't been using our cars, haven't been having these incidental spends and are finding ourselves in a position where we have managed to save a little bit of money. And so that's the position I'm in at the minute. I feel very privileged that I am. But like I said, I kind of feel like I need to capitalise on it in some way because otherwise it will just be a waste. But I don't know where to start with it. And I must admit, it was very reassuring when you said about you can start investing at 10, 20, 30 pounds, because I have always had the impression, you know, it's a bit like gambling, that to make money, you have to have that money at the beginning, like that belief that you said. So when we're actually talking about investing, what does that actually mean? What are our options for what we should be looking into as potential things to do? Yeah, definitely. So I guess the starting point is that the view of investing that most of us have has come from the TV and films, which is a form of investing, but it is not the reality of what most of us are likely to be doing, which is putting small-ish amounts into funds rather than going and putting all our money, tens of thousands of pounds into a specific company, because that is the extreme end of the risk reward spectrum if you go and put all of your money into one company the chance of you losing that is quite high because you're relying totally on that one company's success but what tends to happen and what most people that are investing money are doing is putting money into funds and these funds are either run automatically by robo investors on apps like moneybox or nutmeg and they essentially automate your investments and they spread your money across loads of companies. So when you hear people talking about riding out the market and the fact that over 5, 10, 20 years, it will even out, your investments will level out, 
That's because when you put money into a fund, you are spreading out the risk. So if one company that you've got money invested in does well, but another does badly, you're back at even. And that is the the benefit of using funds. Only sophisticated investors who have been doing this for years and years and years would go and start investing in individual stocks on the market because it's too risky. But putting your money in a fund that has been doing what it's doing for 20, 30, 40 years and just letting it do its thing is very unlikely to backfire on you. And how much time do you reckon people should spend in terms of like educating themselves on either the best platforms to look into? Obviously, you've mentioned Nutmeg there or generally just around the type of investment that they're actually going to be doing because obviously there's kind of confusing terms and conditions and everything and I think that's the thing that gets quite daunting really yeah totally honestly you really don't need to spend much time getting to grips with the basics I think for a lot of people the biggest hurdle is getting their head around the risk concept and the fact that you know there will be times when you go on to the platform and you see a negative number and that can be scary and obviously through coronavirus there was a massive drop um, and the market crashed briefly and I made the mistake of going in and looking at my investments and I've put money in there over about four or five years and seeing that you are lost money is never going to be good but within two or three weeks it was back in green and one of the big things actually with investing is that you shouldn't check it very often because things change every day and they fluctuate every day so on on average I would say really you don't want to check it more than once a month max but you should really like you can go months without needing to check your investments like there is no real benefit because the minimum term you really want to invest for is five years at an absolute minimum and over five years you have no idea what's going to happen but it shouldn't really matter because you shouldn't be planning on cashing out until at least five years down the line so really what happens on a day-to-day basis is irrelevant if that makes mm. sense yeah Obviously, you feel like it's your money but it, it isn't going to affect the outcome really I think this is where it puts a lot of women off because it's actually long-term gain. You know, I'm not an expert in the subject, but I think that's where you start to see the gender divide happen. And and sorry, this is going to sound like massive stereotyping, but there is research on this um, <laughs> to say that men's wealth does grow over time, whereas women's stagnates. And I yeah. think that is one of the key things because we're not investing early enough with small amounts of money that are going to create that hopefully peace of mind later on down the track. We're, we're looking at the immediate here and now, and like you say, the security and well, I can put it in savings and then it's available to me straight away rather than having that same long-term goals in mind that we probably should be thinking about when we're in our twenties to make sure that, you know, over 15 years when you're at a later stage, you've got something. Yeah. And actually, we're both in very fortunate positions to have still had jobs throughout lockdown. And that small saving that we have made from not going to bars and restaurants and eating our money away. Actually, you saying five years makes me think, 
that's actually taking pressure off in my mind because I'm not having to keep checking it. I think exactly as you say, films and TVs make it look as if you're going to have to be like on the phone to someone being like, raise it by five grand kind of thing, like not knowing what on earth's going on, like the proper kind of stock market style trading and investing. And actually the idea that you could just go, okay, here's, I don't know, 20, 50 pounds or something like that, that I'm fortunate enough to have left over from the end of my month let's just put it in there and go. That's actually quite reassuring to me. Yeah, that's exactly the way to do it as well. That is exactly the way to get started. And just to put it in a bit of context, the biggest reason, as you mentioned, why women end up having a lot less wealth than men is exactly this, the difference between savings and investing. At the moment, savings rates, interest rates are dire you might as well like not bother. You might as well put your money under your bed, have a <laughs> savings account, literally. And so the the best in the market at the moment for easy access savings, I believe it's about 1.05%, which is less than the cost of inflation. Inflation is the cost of living and the cost of living every year goes up. So your money earning 1% of interest is going to be worth less next year. You're going to have less purchasing power. On average, and it's very conservative, but the number that is usually used in the industry as a very conservative gain over 10 plus years of investment is 5%. Mm. That's probably the worst you'll do. You'll quite often earn more than that if you invest your money over 10, 20, 30 years. And obviously that money is growing because you're earning interest at that rate on the interest that you're putting in. So you'll probably have heard people talk about compounding and that is what compounding is. It's that you earn interest on interest. So over 10, 20, 30 years, that can be massive amounts, especially when you're looking at 5% versus your 1% for your savings. Yeah. And it's actually so interesting you say that because I think a lot of people have this misconception that if you've got money in a savings account, then it's like safe. And you're like, okay, well, that's fine because, you know, I'm going to earn a little bit of interest on it. And, you know, at least I know that it's there for kind of that rainy day fund. And actually what you're kind of saying is why not make more of your rainy day fund why not actually learn about it and invest it and your rainy day fund could be even bigger in a you know couple of years or you know in a, in a while yeah totally and I think I mean there's an important point there which is that if anything coronavirus has shown that having some easy access savings is really important and if you're in a position to then have a few months worth of savings in an easy access account in case the worst happens and you don't have a job anymore and you need to pay your bills. But once you have that and you have enough, which typically I would say three to six months, but a lot of people would say three months of expense payments in savings, at that point you should really be thinking, okay, I need this money to work harder for me because if you've got more than that, like yeah you're just sat on it and it's losing value each year mm. and you can start building for your longer term future 
And there's a lot of reasons why we need to do that. You know, pensions, as fun as they are, are not going to be looking great for us as a generation. Like, we know that. We know that we're going to be struggling when we get to our 70s, 80s, if we even get a state pension. We also know that, you know, there's going to be a lot of millennials who aren't buying houses till a lot later. And the temptation can really be there to be like, oh, well, I need to hold on to every penny in my current account or my savings account because I want to buy a house in five, 10 years. You can probably still afford £20 a month to go into your investment. And that is going to help you out in the long term far more than holding on to that £20 towards your house deposit. Yeah, because I was thinking about getting the balance right and how you do that because as you say, the interest rates are just dire at the moment. I think it's the lowest interest rate we've ever had, isn't it? It's ridiculous. <laughs> and I was thinking there, there are obviously people in different situations. So I'm lucky enough to own a house. And so I'm kind of at a slightly different stage to Pippa, who at the moment is buying a house. And then there are people sort of earlier down the track who are trying to accumulate that money to do it. So obviously investing all of your money isn't going to be the right option for people who have to be saving at the moment but like you say if it if, if it is just as simple as I say as simple but you know even if if you've just got that little bit that 10 pounds or that 20 pounds left over knowing that you can pop that away so you've got long term as well as short term and I guess one of the first things you should actually do before doing any of this stuff is actually to really assess all your expenses which is quite a horrible thing to think about obviously we are the generation of buying too much avocado on toast so you know actually acknowledging you know how many avocados on toast you're buying or how many coffees you're buying or something is that a process that you really get people to deep dive into then like understanding your expenses knowing your income what kind of potential income you could maybe make in the next few years yes definitely um I, with everyone I work with, we start off with looking in detail at your finances and seeing where you are, because quite often when people want to work with a financial coach, it's because they don't really want to look at their bank balance. And a lot of people I work with earn decent money, they just don't know where it's going. So it's definitely a place to start. And when you're trying to work out what you want to achieve, then you have to know what you're working with. And I think that, again, a lot of people find the prospect of having to go through with a fine tooth comb all of their money and their expenses quite traumatic. But the reality is that it can actually be really positive. It can be a really good experience because once you have that information, you are in control of it. You know, you know what you can do with it and you can make a plan to get to your goal much quicker. And I think that especially when you've got a big goal, like buying a house, for example, then having that clarity is super important. But with all of this, with the saving, investing, paying off debt, the most important thing is knowing where you are now so that you can get from where you are to where you want to be. And you have to know what your finances look like to be able to do that, however scary it is. But I always try to remind people as well, you know, not looking at your bank balance doesn't change your bank balance. Your bank balance is your bank balance. So the more you look at it, the less scary it becomes. And the more it just becomes a number, not this big emotional traumatic experience you have to go through to look at it 
and then feel bad about it, not looking at it, all it does is give your bank balance the power over you rather than you having the power to be like, I know what my bank balance is. It doesn't matter. I'm going to deal with it. You're just giving like that power and control away to your money rather than taking it and owning it and controlling it. Would you say that actually we are a very fortunate generation in the sense that we are growing up with a lot of like modern banking techniques and everything. Like obviously I work in the fintech space, so I am going to know about these things, but there are so many digital banking opportunities now, which are literally giving you that information with the click of a button. I think that a lot of kind of traditional banking Sometimes the process of actually having to log on to go onto your online banking to actually get how much money you have on a piece of paper or whatever is such a tiresome process that you just go, I'm just going to risk it and just hope that I don't go into the red kind of thing. Whereas actually, I have massively found that when I've been thinking like, oh, I'm just not good with money. And I actually am like, that's what's so stupid about it. If I now you're speaking to me, I'm feeling like I've been therapized because <laughs> I've been reminded about that. Actually, I am good with money. But I would say that it's down to the tools as well. Is that something that you like talk about quite a lot? Or do you have any tips of things that people should look out for outside of investing? Yeah, totally. I always say this and I, you know, I'm waiting for them to come knocking and give me an ambassadorship, but I am (laughs) an early doors Monzo advocate. And I I know there's now multiple options that do the same thing. Um, But I think that the opportunity to manage your finances that they present is brilliant. And I think that if people really want to get on top of things then totally they need to get one of the challenger banks on their phones because it has completely changed the level of transparency that everyone has on a day-to-day basis of their finances I do understand that for some people having like the level of transparency and constant notifications about their spending isn't helpful and so I do think that for some people, like you need to play around with it a bit, turn off some of the notifications. It has to work for you and you need to protect your mental health. And I think that some people probably find that too overwhelming. But if you want to get organized, then 100%, I think that they enable you to do that from your hands. And they enable you to see really transparently where your money is and what you're doing with it. It doesn't always change people's behavior. If anything, I think that there's another layer to the issue. The challenger banks help you to manage your money. You can only really manage your money long term well if you know how and why you are doing what you're doing with it, which is the whole back to the mindset issue, which those banks aren't really dealing with. I think they could be doing a lot more in terms of financial education. They're they're telling you what you kind of already know about your spending, but they have definitely enabled far more people to take more control than ever before of those numbers and, and to access them far easier, as you mentioned. I was a bit sceptical, I have to admit, because I was so paranoid about someone nicking my phone and suddenly having access to all my money. But when I went abroad a couple of years ago and went to New York, and didn't want to be like taking a pouch of dollars around with me. So I was looking at what bank accounts would give the best rates for spending and Monzo came up. So it was so handy. I think the only thing I would say is that when I say I 
eat all of my money, it was very, very apparent when I went to New York because what these challenger bank apps do is they put your money into statistics so you can see where your pots of money are. But they are very clever in that they learn from what you're spending. So they'll actually give you a projected, based on your spending for the previous months, this is what we think you're going to have at this point of time. And I found that really helpful, actually. And the other thing I would say, this isn't to sell Monzo, it's just it's the only one I know (laughs) of. And just for people who don't know what they're offering to you, one of the other things you can do is kind of split your money into different wedges. So you can do a a rounding up. So if something costs 98p, it will put 2p into a little piggy bank. So now I, I still use my traditional bank for my salary coming in, but I give myself a little bit of money to spend on my food and things through Monzo and I I don't go over that but I've just found a way for it to work for me and I find it quite handy now. I will just add in because I'm actually not a Monzo customer. I'm actually all the rest of them. Um, So I would just like to be an advocate for Starling and Revolut as well, which are both great apps, um, especially if you're going abroad or you want to do some of those other things that Laura has spoken about. And it's so interesting because I genuinely do think that somebody finds a challenger bank that they like and then they just like stick with it and they're just such an ambassador for it. It's hilarious. One of the things that I'd love to know about from you is just actually about that goal setting process. Now, I obviously am going through like quite a lot of life changing things at the moment in terms of buying a house and, and, you know, moving forward with my future family and all of those sorts of things. So I'm thinking ahead to that sort of stuff, but still it's quite big thinking in terms of there's actual financial goals. And actually you need to kind of narrow it down a little bit like how do you go through that process of helping people to identify what their goals are or do they typically come to you with a goal in mind already yeah so it totally depends on on the person but I would say that most people come to me with a goal in mind how specific that is varies so a lot of clients will come and have debt that they want to pay off And if you have debt, obviously you have a number, which makes it a lot easier. So for them, it's very much about a strategy. And quite often, again, these are clients that earn a good amount of money, like they earn good salaries, but they have debt and they're just in a bit of a cycle of not getting anywhere and paying the debt off. So it's about coming up with a clear strategy to get that number down. When it comes to the other type of person, which is someone who, for example, wants to buy a house, you do have to get more specific because you can say, I want to save a deposit, but you really need to know what that looks like to be able to then set yourself realistic mini goals. Because if you say to yourself, I want to save £20,000 on day one, you're not going to feel good about it. And on day 30 you're probably not going to feel great either and by day 90 you'll probably have given up so you have to break it down into achievable targets so whatever that is like it has to be something that you can look at monthly and be happy that you are making progress in the right direction towards and I really encourage people to try and break down those numbers as much as they can if it's weekly if that works for you great monthly great I kind of think anything more than that you probably need to be breaking it down again more. But I think that putting a number on your goal is really important. I don't think that having a goal like, I want to buy a car, 
is conducive to achieving that goal really I think you need to know what car you want to buy and how much that car is going to cost you and then how much you need to save each month towards that goal and when you can then expect to get your car I really think from a psychological perspective it really helps us to have those specifics oh I'm just I'm going back to my project management days with my smart objectives I can't remember what T is. It's smart, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. Yeah. Timely. (laughs) Sorry, that was very geeky. (laughs) Very true, though. It does work. Yeah, it does really go back to the food thing as well, because I, throughout lockdown, have been trying to lose pounds, not money pounds, (laughs) weight pounds, um, and that was one of the things I, I signed up for a program and they said, you just take it week by week and you yeah. don't look too far ahead and you don't try and go too fast either. This is something that you want to make sustainable. And if you look too far ahead and you suffer a setback for some reason, which is the same, you might be doing really well with your savings and then your car breaks. And yeah. I've definitely been in that position. And you just go, well, that's 300, 400 pounds out of the window to get that repaired. That's just wiped out however long that I've been saving for. What's the blooming point type thing? But And, and it's the same with, with food and how you manage it. It kind of is all the mindset, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And it's annoying because I think a lot of the time with all of these things, like we want a quick fix. Mm. And... The reality is that there is no quick fix and you have to do this work over and over again. It has to be constant. I don't just find money easy. I constantly have to go back and remind myself that I need to invest in getting where I want to and that by taking those risks that that ultimately will produce more. All of these different things you have to just keep going over because We've spent however many years of our lives thinking in a very different way, expecting our habits to change straight away as soon as we want them to is not going to happen. That sometimes is hard to grasp hold of, that the reality of it, that it is an ongoing journey, an ongoing piece of work. But it also reminds us that it's like that is reality, like nothing is that easy, but it's, it's achievable. Mm, yeah yeah and it's actually really good that you said that because one of the things that Laura and I have tried to like evolve a lot over time just in our own relationship is actually being more open talking about money and I think that again to go with the stereotypes I apologize but like I do think that men typically are a lot more open about talking about money and I think that maybe that's the direction that us women need to be going in a lot more and that's why what you're doing is so fantastic because you literally are trying to teach people but also it be more than that more than just educating but actually like demonstrating how you can do it you are a case study in itself for all the things that you have done financially which is so great because sometimes you need almost like a role model I don't want to make you blush here but you kind of like you you do need people to you need to see how possible it is to actually make you go oh okay maybe I'm going to think about this a little bit differently and so is that something that you are seeing improving in terms of women having more conversations around money or is it something that we still have a long way to go yeah I think it's definitely improving and there is more conversation 
that's happening, I think, than ever before. And partly thanks to all of the platforms that we now have, like social media, podcasting, it's a lot more possible to start these conversations and to open the conversations. At the same time, I think there's a big way to go. I do think it applies to both genders in different ways. So I think that men probably talk more openly about money in a confident sense. I don't think that men talk about money when they're struggling at all. If anything, I think that men probably talk less about their issues with money than women, Mm. just because of the whole, again, stereotypical, but realistic gender norms of of women not really feeling very confident but men wanting to feel like they're in control and put across a level of confidence about their finances I think that women probably don't talk about money enough when they should in the sense that they should be talking about how much they deserve to be paid and having those pay conversations and like how much do they charge I think women get quite embarrassed about that a lot of the time and men will talk to their friends about how much they're paid yeah so I think that there's massive pros and cons and ways that men and women are both better at talking about money and worse about talking about money Mm. we had Freddie on and we were talking about suicide rates and the fact that it's a lot higher amongst male millennials than females and we're talking a lot about emotional mindset from a female point of view I think we shouldn't actually exclude the fact that with that whole you've got confidence if you're a man you you make the money you're the breadwinner there's also that pressure on on them as well so Mm. I don't want to discount the fact that that men don't have problems too I just think it's something that we need to encourage conversations about money for everyone of our age as you say you're trying to break that taboo because it's almost like money is a taboo subject for a lot of people yeah It definitely is. And I mean, one of the statistics that I always talk about, which still blows my mind, is that money is the second biggest cause of divorce in the UK. And that, again, comes back to both men and women failing to talk about their financial situations, failing to deal with their differences when it comes to money, hiding money or debt from each other. Like there are so many issues and problems that can come from money when you have poor communication and ultimately yeah you're right the only way we're going to get to a position where those statistics start to change and the numbers come down for people getting divorced for financial reasons or money related issues is by both men and women talking more about their Mm. feelings and their beliefs and their thoughts and their numbers when it comes to money Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's quite a shocking statistic, but does make a lot of sense, you know, with the growing pressures on family life or anything that you're trying to do in your life that it's going to put a lot of pressure on people. So I do completely understand that. Now we have had a fantastic conversation talking to you about money and I guarantee that we could go on for a lot longer. So can you maybe just give us your kind of like top three things that you really advocate that people either learn about or they just go away and like think about? Yeah, sure. Firstly, I think remember that knowledge is power when it comes to money and make sure that you know what you're dealing with. So try your best to overcome the nerves or the anxiety when it comes to checking your bank balance, opening your statements and inform yourself because you will arm yourself with 
power when you have that knowledge. So that's definitely number one. Number two, I would say is ask yourself why you believe what you believe about money and do the work. And there are lots of resources online, on Instagram, on my page, which can help you to ask those (laughs) questions that you need to ask about what it is that has got you to where you are and how you then can challenge that and change that. Because until you really understand the root of your beliefs, it will always be quite difficult to change them. And the third thing I would say is talk about money with whoever you can. You don't have to suddenly start declaring, you know, what you earn or how much in your bank account to the street, but start to open those conversations, find ways to put money on the table when it comes to conversation topics. Use popular culture, use a TV program that you've seen or a celebrity that you read about talking about something to do with money as a segue into the conversation. There are so many opportunities to, and often you'll find that when you start to open those conversations, other people will respond and they'll respond well. So just put yourself a little bit out of your comfort zone and and start those conversations about money. Thank you so much, Ellie. This has been so, so helpful. And <laughs> I really hope that our listeners have been inspired by this, whatever situation you're in throughout this lockdown, to have a think about what your situation is and what you can do to help yourself, actually. Now, speaking about your page, you've got so much helpful advice on your pages. So can you share with us where people can find you and what they should head to first? Yeah, of course. So I hang out most of the time on Instagram at This Girl Talks Money. And I also have a blog at www.thisgirltalksmoney.com. Um, where you can get a little bit more in-depth content. And I'm also about to launch a Facebook group, which will be where I show up and do much more conversational content where you can ask any question that you have about money, spending, saving, all of those things. Um, And I'm always happy to chat in the DMs. And also, we just need to mention that you have just launched a very new project as well called the Money Makeover, which is basically a lot of this stuff that we've discussed, but just in a really concise, what, six to eight weeks kind of? Eight weeks. Ah, amazing. And just really teaching people how to get to grips with all of their money issues, basically, and how they can come out of it more positive at the other end, which just sounds so fascinating. Lots of things in the pipeline too, which will help all different people with all of their different issues with money. And, and what format's that in? Yeah, so the Money Makeover is a programme. It's an eight-week programme, which is live teaching. So it's a small group and it's me and a few other ladies who every week get together and go through a different subject. And there's also some one-to-one teaching. But hopefully in the next couple of months as well, there will be a self-taught version so that you can go out and you can teach yourself everything you need to know about money in your own time amazing so thank you so much for coming on today we've absolutely loved chatting to you thank you for having me (laughs) so if you want to find any of those things that we've just spoken about we will add the links in the show notes but if you want to get in touch with us or ask us any questions then please do we love hearing from you you can contact us on twitter at the mmpod you can email us the mmpod at gmail.com and you can also find us on instagram at millennial matters podcast Thanks for listening.